0: Welcome everyone to North guys, Extra podcast. This is number 193, and this is our new intro music.
1: <coughs> Stay with me and love getting. I'm Guess... just saying that because oh. Greg Harris was holding Ezra.
2: Ezra looked tightly. Ezra looks a little
0: sad. He just needs. A Are hug. you I'm sad? Ezra? An awkward side nope, hug right I'm good. now from Greg. Yeah, you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we need to go on here. Uh, <laughs> if you have any questions for an Extra Podcast, we'd love if you would send them to extra at northfew.org. My name is Darcy. I'll be hosting this uh, episode. a sturdy man. A yeah, sturdy man? Nice. Like when you, yeah? Yeah. My arms almost didn't reach all the way around. Wow. That's something. Yeah. Well, welcome here, Jeff. Hi. Thanks Darcy. for the uh, opening interlude. That's fine, mate. That was quite something. Does anybody know the band that sang that? I don't recognize the song. Could Jeff, you do really recognize recognize the Come song. on, Kyle, come on. Sort of Kyle and Andy, Andy? Nope. Andy's a little No, 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 Jeff, so you have to sing, sing it again. Sing it again. Sing it again. Do Hold me now. Really?
1: Hold me now. Hold Does anyone know? Now. Thompson Twins. I uh-huh. would never have got that.
0: Weren't they on Full House?
1: I think it was the Thompson Twins.
0: I'm quite sure it was the Thompson I think it was the Thompson Twins. Andy's here. I'm here. Welcome, Andy.
3: In your fluffy jacket. Appreciate that.
0: Kyle's here. Nope. Greg is here. Hi, Ezra's here. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, the intern, is here. Hello. Thank you, Jeremy, for holding everything under control here. You bet. Um, I want to get right into something here. I was, uh, I was, I don't know what I was doing, but I came across this article, um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's a comment from Stephen Fry. Oh, yes. I don't know if you know him, an English actor, novelist, Ge- comedian, Twitter genius, he activist, is Twitter uh, genius. Well, does does it what really it says say that? on this.
1: Yeah. He is, uh, he is. Sherlock me. Holmes's brother what? in the Sherlock Holmes films, I think Stephen Fry is.
0: Am I right about that? I don't think so. I don't no, think, so. I think he is. I didn't no. recognize him. Uh, apparently, he is the correct well, answer to the, the question. Are you with me now,
2: Greg? Well, I'm just. I'm googling Stephen Fry. Can
0: we,
3: we Wikipedia that?
0: So anyway, he Wikipedia. was on this program <laughs> where the host—I don't know if it's radio or TV—but mm. they ask uh, prominent people. This show does about the meaning of life. And so uh, he was confronted with this, and, uh, and, and Fry is an outspoken atheist, and so uh, how would he respond to a face-to-face with the Almighty God? And so this host said, suppose it's all true, and you walk up to the pearly gates and are confronted by God, what will Stephen Fry say to him or her or it? Fry replied, I'd say bone cancer in children? What's that about? And then he continued, How dare you? How dare you create a world to which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say. How do we respond to that? Uh, Job 38, uh, I think is a better text.
1: Is It is, is yes. actually, actually happened. Mm -hmm. And it was a man who lost his family, so he had every reason to think. He lost his family in a windstorm, and he lost everything he owned prior to that. I think that Job's had wanted an audience with the Almighty, and he got it.
4: And to say, I mean, to couch it in context, he was blameless before God, and God himself knew this. Right. So it wasn't Job's, Job's fault. Nope that he, his family died or everything. A- absolutely it had not. had nothing to do with him. But he wanted to have an audience with the Almighty yes. where
1: he could argue his case and demonstrate that he was righteous and he should not have deserved what it is that he got. Mm-hmm. And so he, he starts in and he, he demands that audience. And the Lord, in this very interesting ironic twist, comes in, in a windstorm, right? Mm-hmm. So the windstorm blew his kid's house in and the windstorm is how God comes to him. And let's just say it wasn't Job who was talking most of the time. The questions are being asked of Job. Where was he when the, God laid the foundations of the earth? And does he know its dimensions? And can he mark it off with a span? Can he put a, One of my favorite lines in that entire four chapters is, can you put a leash around Leviathan and walk it and give it to your little girl? The Leviathan was the most unruly, uh, chaotic beast that was supposed to live within the waters. And God says, I can do that. I can put a leash on it, give it to my little baby girls to walk around the block. Can you do that, Job? And the answer is no. Of course it's not. And so how does Job respond? Job 42, 1 at the end. Does anybody have that?
0: No? No?
1: No? On it. Well, somebody will find Job 42 in the end.
0: It's like a sword drill, but with computers. Yeah, it was computers.
2: Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know.
1: Whoa, wait a minute. I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me that I did not know. In other words, God's command and wisdom about his universe is surpasses Job's at every point infinitely.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: Stephen Fry comes along and he says that he has a standard by which he's going to judge God, a moral standard by which he's going to judge God, and when he stands before him he's going to accuse God of wrongdoing. That's precisely what Job wanted to do, although Job was even more humble
3: mm-hmm.
1: when he was trying to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't like Stephen Fry's chances.
3: See, really, does, it, what, it, uh, what does it really come down to, ultimately for Job, ultimately for every single one of us, it comes down to whether or not
4: I'm going to trust God. Yeah,
1: Period. and he's, he's smarter than me? Yeah. Is he wiser
3: than me? Is he smarter than me?
1: Atheism is the most arrogant viewpoint on the planet.
4: But you see, it is the assumption. It is the assumption that a human being, a mere mortal, can stand before God and actually question God face to face if God were to show himself to you. And in biblical texts, everywhere we see where God shows up and it's kind of like a square face-to-face debate with someone, the person cannot stand. No, they don't speak. You can't Isaiah, does,
1: uh, Isaiah can't get the words yeah. out of his mouth because he knows that when they come out, they'll be dirty. Yes. Yeah. So he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Yes. I live among a people of unclean lips.
4: So my, my guess is when this man actually stands before God, the question he thinks he will ask.
1: Yeah. Of course, he replies to the comment here, he replies in an, in an obvious way. This is not the first person who said this sort of thing. He, God, God is a mythical creature to him, so it, who cares? It's like asking him, what would you say to the unicorn? He can make up whatever he wants to say about it. Mm-hmm. So in the end, for him, I mean, he's, he's brash because he, he is utterly confident that there is no God and he would never actually have to have this situation. What's interesting, though, is this is a good example of uh, the old saying that atheists believe there is no God and
3: they hate him. Um, I, that was the right? point I was going to make. Every atheist I've ever talked to, maybe bar one, but even then I think if you were to be honest with me, he'd fit into this as well. All of them, it, when you really get down to it, their arguments against God isn't that he doesn't exist, that they don't like him. Right. On a moral ground. So it's yeah. more that they don't like okay, him? B- well, he said evil in his But Isn't, it, tiring, isn't,
1: right? it, isn't it, though basically, I could do it better.
3: Well, yeah, I'm always a better judge. That If
1: if I could have governed the universe, I would have done it better than you. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the comments here, I would have made it so that Mm -hmm. there wouldn't have been cancer. I would have made it so that there wasn't this and there wasn't Mm -hmm. this. Of course... The problem here is that Stephen Fry's wisdom is so small and God's is so infinite. God sees the end from the beginning. And what Stephen Fry doesn't want to acknowledge is, first of all, that there is a God, but secondly, that there is a God who is all-wise and all-knowing and all-loving so that even the things that he allows in his in His world actually serve an eternal purpose that he had before the foundations of the world.
3: Mm-hmm. And really this is the the same thing that Adam and Eve struggled with. Mm-hmm. And if we're all honest with ourselves, what this is what with. we all struggle with. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which is, can we trust God? Yeah. yeah. Can I trust him? And I think in, in all of our own ways, we've said exactly what Stephen Fry said. Yeah.
5: Yep. Yeah, that one example misses the bigger storyline that scriptures paint for us and tell to us of the origin of evil um, in the garden, but then the end of evil when Christ returns. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there is cancer and there are hor- horribly you know terrifying things that happen now but they won't always be that way. And this is a Carlos is a really good point. It's, it's
1: like when you come to a movie or a play and you point to the middle of the play and there's something in the middle of the play that troubles you but, but the, the knowledge of the end actually colors that that middle. Mm-hmm. Knowledge of the beginning, like and this happens to me all the time when I watch a film and then I show it to someone I, I know in the middle they're just outraged by something someone does and you, and you say to them, but wait just wait, just especially if there's a twist at the end. You're like, just wait. Just wait. I know it looks awful right now, but just wait. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the point here is that there, this all this fits within a larger framework. But Fry doesn't believe that. He believes in a in a purposeless universe that doesn't have any kind of divinity now, in it.
3: Fascinating enough, in that interview, he said, "Now, if we're talking about Zeus or one of the Greek gods, well, then fine, because you know these gods." we are just capricious anyways, right? And they're just we're just their play toys. But the Christian God, I, I think, has a certain disdain for him because the Christian God is a good God.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'll read that quote. It says, um, uh, the, the host said, uh, and you think you're, you're gonna get in to heaven like that? And Fry said, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, if I died and it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it because the Greeks didn't pretend to not be human in their appetites and their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent because the God that created this universe, if it was created by God, is clearly uh, a maniac, utter maniac, totally selfish.
3: There you have it.
0: And there you have it. There you go. All right. um, when we were uh, getting ready to start here, you guys were having a debate about um, books and about what books we should read or shouldn't read, and should we be telling people, "Hey, that's not a good book for you to read." And Jeff, so, so you're saying we maybe well, should. Well, Greg tell was telling us how that.
3: he's been reading. Fifty Shades of Grey.
4: Oh, dear. And Ezra said,
0: you
3: shouldn't read that. And, and they almost came to fisticuffs. That's why they were hugging her. So, oh, so was I wrong? Oh, dear. My point was, I said that I don't I don't know that my job is to tell people what books not to read. Now, And I said that's ex- precisely your job as a pastor in
1: God's church. Right. So
3: now I want to push back and tell, tell Ezra... Of a couple of books, mm. I don't think he should read. Thinking, thinking. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's book. I actually, want to tell you to read. <laughs> now, hey, I, did, I said what not to read, not what you should read. Well, all of you should read that book. But let's imagine, let's just pick a book arbitrarily, pick a book, and I say, Ezra, you shouldn't read that book. Mm-hmm. What's your
4: response? Uh, I would ask. I would <laughs> ask your reasons why you wouldn't want me to read the book because I told you not to read it. Okay. See, as a pastor. I would not tell someone not to read a book and not have a reason behind it just because that's exactly because. my point. Just because, because.
3: So, so it's really not me that has the authority to tell you to not read the book. Mm-hmm. But sh- who has the authority? But shepherding people in in right thinking
1: is, is right Exactly is exactly what we ought to be doing. And sometimes that, that means telling them, you know, it's just not a good book. It's gonna lead it's gonna it's gonna muddle things for you. But I wanna the shepherd them in good
3: thinking. Right, and so they're, so that I'm not making the decisions for them. I'm showing them how to biblically make a biblical decision so on what to read. So what's, what's your point? And that the Bible tells us what not to read,
4: mm-hmm. not me. Yeah, but, but see, the Lord has granted me and you as his shepherds the authority to shepherd his people, and there... Uh, I would, say I would say the
1: responsibility. The responsibility. Yeah.
4: People. So as as we as we shepherd God's people, we discern what it is that would be good for the sheep and what is not. And so we identify what is not good. And but we tell we the sheep, this them this is not. good. So you want them to read
1: something that's you want them to read false teaching so that they can get used no, to false no. teaching. no,
3: no. That's not what I said. Mm-hmm. I want to help equip them to know what they should or shouldn't read according to what the Bible says, not according to what I've said. Yeah, I'm. I, listen, I've,
1: i I was. There are several of us around the table here who have our our foot in academia, and so I understand the academic desire here to say, "Oh, you need to have, give people an openness to all sorts of ideas and stuff." That's that's. I get that. As a pastor, though, there is a category of such things as false teaching, and I'm not going to tell you to listen to Joyce Meyer. I'm not. And that might sock shock somebody who's listening right now. Joyce Meyer is a is a word faith heretic.
3: To which then I would give biblical so, reasons why I think that right they that shouldn't. I just,
1: she's word faith heretic. She she believes that basically she believes that we still live under the old covenant, and if you do good things for God, He owes you. So she's acting. She's guilty of the Galatian heresy. So so when I say to somebody, you should
3: avoid Joyce Meyer. I think I'm doing a pastoral duty. Right. But here's my fear, and this is where I get concerned mm. for people, is when they want me to do all their thinking for them. And so all of the time, people come up to me. I just had this actually two Sundays ago. A person came up to me and asked me about a specific book. Should I or shouldn't I not read it? And, and that concerns me
4: because I'm like, now do you need to come to me for every book you should or shouldn't read? But the, my, my pushback to that would be we are called to patiently teach, carefully instruct. So there are those who, as you as you pastor, as you mentor, as you teach and instruct, there are those who will now get what it is that you're trying to teach them, you know, like um, read books with a discerning eye, watch movies with a discerning eye. Not everyone will get there at the same time. So the people will get there before the others. So my point here is, People still come and ask, they will still come and ask, and I think if they come and ask, my responsibility as a shepherd to say yes to this and no to the other, while I continue to train them how to think for themselves. They will not get there um, at the same time. I cannot expect everyone to get mm. to where I want them to be today, No. Mm. Some will get there today, and others it may take two years, and others may never get there.
1: And I also think you need to be aware that there, are, the, the you're assuming a certain level of, of biblical uh, fidelity and, and biblical literacy, when you're talking about people like that. I just don't know if that's that's realistic. I don't. I don't. I mean, I would love it to be the case that you have lots and lots of people who are wise enough with the scriptures so that they would, if they were, uh, confronted with some some teaching that was very, very different and even dangerous, they would be able to see it as such. I don't actually think that's the world we live in right now. Uh, and most of my experience of pastoral ministry has been that people are very easy to dupe these days because they aren't well-schooled well in what the Scriptures have to teach. Theology is not something that they understand a lot. They are mostly therapeutically driven. The reason that someone like Joyce Meyer has such a draw, especially on women, is because she is plain talking, tells some funny stories from time to time, and she, she sort of tells it like it is type, type of thing. It's sort of a. Do you guys remember the name Laura Schlesinger? Do you know who I'm talking mm-hmm. about? She was a radio talk show host who made it. Her shtick was just kind of to yell at the caller and tell him <laughs> off, right? Well, Joyce Meyer has that kind of shtick too, and she's, she, there's a draw to her and stuff. She gets involved in theology and starts talking about stuff and interpreting the Bible, and it's just a gong show. It's terrible, but most people, because they have this sort of pathos with they this sort of feeling for her, they end up believing what she's saying about the Bible, and she's creating a very dangerous belief system in them that God owes you if you give him good stuff, whether it be money or faith or whatever. He owes you the good life. He owes you the good stuff. It's just not biblical at
5: all. Yeah, if people have a question about a book, um, I'll sometimes ask, well, what, what are you hoping to get out of that book, or why, why mm-hmm. are you looking at that? What's, what, what's your desired goal through that book and then they tell me then well uh, think about a book to replace it with or a book that might be better more biblically faithful um so instead of reading joyce meyer read nancy piercy yes who's coming to the Mm -hmm. apologize canada conference which is also selling
3: another book book. called thinking (laughs) thinking Thinking? yeah well well done well done (laughs)
4: Well, that was a good. I word. appreciate
1: what you're saying, Andy. I do. Yeah. I appreciate what you're saying. You do, like we're we are not in the book burning business. I'm not right. anyway in the book burning business. I, I believe very much that we should be giving people opportunity to study and learn and discover on their own. Mm-hmm. I think at the same th- time there is a responsibility as pastors to say, well, right. that that actually is a that's a false teaching. Here's why.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's my point, though, is we just kind of constantly bring people back to how we've arrived right. at our conclusions because we. People naturally want to follow people, yeah. and I think that's a, that's a fear that I have. I want to point them to Jesus. I don't right. want them following me. Uh, I need them to follow Jesus. Uh, I want, them, want their relationship with God to flourish. Right yes, now. but
4: there is, there, is also, there is also a, I'm going to say, there's a fine line there. Yes, we are pointing people towards Christ, but we are actually modeling for them what Christ-likeness looks like. Yes, at the and same so time, though,
3: there's freedom. And, and how does that all play in? Because we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, you're exactly. asking my opinion. and we're we're not the Watchtower.
1: But you're asking my opinion about it. And I will say that this gets into interesting places when, when well, a book the, is is selling, you know, a million copies, a hundred thousand. There there are a lot of people in your church who are reading that book and being influenced by the teaching in that book. And so my my question is again, in the New Testament, when you find certain people in a congregation being affected by some form of false teaching isn't it pastoral uh sorry the word malfeasance it, 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 pa- the pastor is failing in his duty if he doesn't appra-
3: doesn't the very canon of scripture points is i think makes that point the the very fact that we had to it, specify what was scripture and what wasn't because of the right. gnostic gospels i mean I mean I to- I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the confusion though is in, you know, go on Amazon or going to your local <coughs> Christian bookstore, the section that's Christian, which in the best case broad and, and why? The Christian
1: bookstore in the be- best case scenario is actually doing this work for you. The person who is running the bookstore is theologically astute is concerned that they have that the books that they have are going to be leading Christian people into faithful not discipleship. Not necessarily the bestsellers. That that's not normal. Right. Like Andy, I'm kind of looking at Andy. There's a bookstore that you and I both know of, just near Biola University, that is very much like that. That yeah. i talked to the owner of. Well, Kyle, you've been there as well. That that the owner is a I think it's a Korean family. The guy said he he he's has hard-core. this bookstore because he's concerned that Christian readers don't read the right books. They don't read good Christian books that are faithful in their doctrine. Instead, it's all bestseller. And that's true. If you go to like the family bookstores or whatever it is that's around, usually it's just whatever the
3: whatever's going to sell. Whatever's
1: mm-hmm. under the category a, of Christian. I think
3: and, we're, uh, to, to push that point, I think we're, as pastors, we can particularly help is some of the finer nuances where people haven't necessarily spent as much time studying in certain areas of theology. And they they have a more difficult time seeing where Joyce Myers or others are leading them astray, or or don't have it quite right, and that we do have a responsibility to say, no, no, no. If you if you read that, you got to understand that, like, she's got this, this, and this wrong, or, or um, pointing out different different things that that are problematic about that particular right. book.
1: But I th- that's what I, I think. What I'm saying is that that's that is shepherding. Mm-hmm. That, that's what
4: I understand. I mean, the that's task Titus, of a pastor. That's Titus one. Yeah, when when Paul is writing, Titus telling him, "Hey, you know, this is what a good shepherd. Is. This is who he is. This is what he does. And this is so not only just teaching, but also rebuking and coming against." But yeah, and there's just this.
3: There's this legalism that has to constantly be fought in the midst of that.
4: Oh, in the modern
1: world, if you have if you stand up over people and say, "Don't do that," we're going to burn these books and never let you actually read them. Yeah, uh, what? Well, My you, fear you, is actually question, more for the pastor your and question the power initially, that he's put in. initially, was what are they going to do? Well, they're going to read it. And you, you, there is a danger by being, you know, uh, vocal about a false teacher or something that you're concerned about. You actually bring more attention to it than is due. Right, mm. and I, I totally get the pragmatics of that, but again, just on the basis, I, I asked Greg to look at Titus one nine. That's the text that Rez, Ezra was referring to.
2: Yeah. So, in regards to elders, it says in Titus one nine, he must hold firm to a trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So, so this is a an elder's role. It's what distinguishes them oftentimes from deacons, right? It's their ability. To, it's what First Timothy calls being apt to teach. is somebody who's able to identify what
0: the good is, identify the bad, and be able to tell people mm-hmm. about it. So, with all that we've talked about, mm. would you guys be willing right now to um, list a few authors that you would just say, <laughs> "Hey, this is, <laughs> name this name is names. This is dangerous. Like well, name names. Well, right? Because I just did. You named one." Joyce Myers, I, Joyce Meyer, Meyer is her name, yeah, it's only one of her. No, right, <laughs> no, I think that if you if
1: you have a steady listen, believe me, and I should make this clear, it is not that Joyce Meyer or Joel Osteen don't say some good things. They do. That's what makes it stinky. That's the hard part. Yeah. Right. If if it was all bad, nobody would ever like listen to them. But they say some good things at moments. There are moments where you listen to Joel Osteen and you think this guy sounds like a Christian pastor. And there are other times where you're like, this man is a wolf Mm -hmm. in the truest sense. Uh, So what? Satan comes as an angel of light. So that's what you should expect Mm -hmm. is this mixture of really dangerous doctrine together with other. uh, uh, T.D. Jakes, I think, Mm -hmm. is a very dangerous guy. In the way that he the way that he he talks, likewise, he's into the prosperity teaching. He's got some viewpoints on the Trinity that are still bizarre, mm-hmm. uh, and have some people have tried to clarify with him, but he seems to still hold on to the idea that
0: mm-hmm.
1: Jesus was a manifestation with, of God. Mm-hmm. That is a that that's a her- heretical word mm-hmm. has been for a long time. Jesus is not a manifestation of God. Jesus is God of very God. <coughs> yes, same substance. Mm-hmm is the way it was phrased in the early church. So,
4: um, so he denies some significant parts of the Christian mm-hmm. faith. I think I'd, I'd be right to say that listeners of this podcast will have heard various names of different authors or different preachers in our deliberations in the past who would say, "Ah, eh, that one, I don't know.
1: Okay, so what, can I, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in. Why is it that we're all hesitant?
4: Why I'm is not, it that, that we all hesitant in naming right the names? Right
3: now, see, I'm not hesitant in naming people like Mary Baker Eddy, Charles Russell, Joseph Smith. You know, I, and I could keep going on. It gets more difficult. Who is, who is Mary Baker Eddy? Uh, uh, Church of Science. Yeah. Charles Russell. Uh, Jehovah's uh, Witnesses. Joseph and, um, Smith is Mormons. Uh, Mohammed, <laughs> Islam. So what you have? Siddhartha Gautama. Uh, Buddhism. But the, <laughs> the problem is. The problem is, is like you mentioned, it's when they're more sly, right? Right. And and when it's more nuanced. Right. Then it becomes, because we could get even more nuanced there. There's other books where Christians will say, oh, you shouldn't read that. And I'm like, are you sure? Like I think about books by Foster right now. I know particularly Ezra doesn't like Richard Foster. Foster. Mm -hmm. And his book. What was it celebration of Disciplines, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And but I read that book, and I think there's lots of great things in that book.
4: Yes, but, but then it's also riddled with a lot of mysticism in there. Right, so, so that's not biblical.
3: See, and then that's where that's when that's my point is it gets <laughs> so nuanced, right? And that's when I start to right. shy away. Right. right. So
4: it's, that.
5: If, sorry. If,
3: so if somebody comes to Ezra with a, with a book, this
5: book's the, sp- yeah. Spirit of the Spirit of the Disciplines, yeah. Foster, yeah. and says, hey, I, I want to grow. I that's actually not the name of it. Oh, it isn't? No, celebration. No, that's that's, celebration, thanks. Is. Celebration. What um, but. Mm-hmm. But was this book? Hey, I want to grow <laughs> in my spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. I got, found this book. People recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. Ezra, what do you say to them?
4: I think what I would say, I would discuss what the book is about with them, and then I'll tell them what might be helpful, but then I'll also tell them what... W- in my perception, what would not be helpful with that book, and maybe refer them to a different book, yeah. or just say, hey, you know what, that book might not be helpful See, I think for that's what Andy would do. Based on what you're looking for. If
1: you had to ask the Andy, that, um, I don't know, Andy, is that
3: what you'd do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
4: yeah I think so, that you're saying the same thing.
1: Yeah. I just Andy, I think, is pointing out the side of the view that, actually, there are some things in, in the book, for example, Foster's book, that are actually very helpful. Mm-hmm. There are other parts that you want to say, ah, Not so sure. And I think I think it also depends
4: and I think it also depends on the motive of the reader. What what are you looking for? What are you after? Um, is it a research book? Are you buying the book for your own personal growth and discipleship? If that's the case, then I'd say, eh, maybe not that one. Maybe a better one would be this one.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So the hard part is that there can be a lot of good writing out there sprinkled with some parts of bad theology that yeah. make it difficult then to, to discern when everything
1: okay, looks, yeah, some. Everything looks but, good. But some right? of this, it, it depends on the level of the bad, though. Yes. Some of it's central to the core right. Christian doctrines.
3: And that's my thing. But I think if we were to be honest, we could find fault in every single writer. But I even think of like Thomas Aquinas. But not
1: fault necessarily with every core Christian doctrine. That, exactly. So wouldn't mm-hmm. we
3: say then that there's this, almost this playground, if yep. you will, uh, in which we would say read inside the playground and... Have a merry go round It might. Okay. It has a sandbox. Like a little sure. swing. Uh, but so, but yeah, like I mean, I actually I had always really looked up to Thomas Aquinas, for example. But then I, I just was reading the other day about how his his understanding of of an eternal universe and his and his ideas, his buy-in to some Aristotelian ideas, really I like was actually quite shocking to me, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I was like, oh man. Mm -hmm. But then when I say, oh, you shouldn't read him because his cosmology is all wrong.
4: Yeah, but, but, Andy, I think what I would say to that would be you are a mature Christian now. And you're going to read his book. You're going to read his book. There's there's a specific reason why you're reading the book. Maybe to research, to study, to understand deeply, and so on and so forth. If I have a... uh, a young man or woman who's coming along and wants to read these books, but I, in my interaction with the person, I, I realize that they don't even have a strong foundation in the understanding of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. I would say, you know what? That might not be the best book for you here. That yeah. will not get you what you're looking for. Yeah. Maybe this one first. So once, once a person is grounded in their faith, and then they come with a question regarding hey can I read this book or that book then I can now get into the nuances to say hey you know what this guy in this particular book will lead you down this path so you want to be have a discerning eye when you're reading him on this if you desire to read him and then the bigger question is what's the motive what why what are you after okay so 2nd spoke-
1: John 9 everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, right, which is probably referring to the teaching of Christ, mm-hmm. do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So, I'm just wondering, this is this is John's word to us yes. and that He's, it's in the context abide is the word for continuing, continuing yeah. in the faith mm-hmm. and his concern is that there will be those who will be won over by false doctrine yeah. and that if we don't actually point it out to them it won't, we, we, it won't actually help people to continue the faith so, so my question is why are we hesitant
4: mm. to point it out? I don't think we are hesitant to point it out it's just well, for I, me. I'm totally thinking. hesitant. I am very see, for, hesitant. For, for, for me, I think that with each, like with each, with each um, topic, with each issue that we discuss and deliberate, when an, when uh, if if we know that there's a particular false teacher in our time, in our day, who's teaching something contrary to what we believe the scriptures are saying, we name the person. So, like you have named people from the pulpit who have taught, whom...
1: I don't go out of my way to name them. Yes,
4: but... But if people are, you're right, if people are being
1: influenced by the teaching and I find Mm -hmm. out enough about it in our
4: church, then I will absolutely... Then you will call it out out when you notice that our congregation... Do you know what happens when
1: I do this? People leave. Yes, people get and mad. This is this is the problem. Faithful, kind people leave because yes. they don't like that attitude. They think that you are, uh, you know, on a witch hunt or something like that, which of course mm-hmm. you're not. You're actually trying to protect them from yeah, as a shepherd would, you're doing from gospel the wolves. Yes. You're bringing your gun out to the edge of your property yes. and shooting wolves. That's what you're doing. Yes, you are. But they don't read it that way. No. Because for the most part, and this is the part Andy that that if you're not careful, I think is the part of that, that I would be concerned about, that if you, that people don't read it. They say, they say, oh, you're just trying to limit us. You're like one of those book-burning, mean people from the days <laughs> gone by. You just want to limit my thinking. Who do you think you are? And these sorts of things. This is the spirit of the age. Hmm. And my response is, well, actually, that's precisely what God's called me to do and mm-hmm. us to do is to try to help the people of God to discern these things because mm-hmm. we do have, God has invested in us far more education and experience than he has a lot of people in the church. Mm-hmm. But what it's going to cost us is that it, that they sometimes won't like us. Mm-hmm. And we won't be treated you know, to the best dinners at all the best tables because we, we weren't open to all the wonderful ideas. If you want to go down that path, I can introduce you to lots of people who have decided to go down that path and entertain whoever it is that comes along
0: and teaches whatever. And they are. They're the champions of the culture. Mm-hmm. So do we have anywhere, and I don't know if we do or not on our website or whatever, a list of books that would be good recommended reading if you want to you know, grow in this area, grow in that yeah, area? Yeah, most of the
1: books that we put on our website and well, in our library.
0: The
3: Resource Center is full of books that we recommend. And mm-hmm.
1: we, we have taken up the task in the last little while to... Call the books that we that we don't find helpful, or ones that we even have questions about. We, the books that are in our resource center right now are very much get the thumbs up from us. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that we would agree with everything that's said in there, but but the majority of what's said and about the core doctrines is true. Yes, and we 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 are on board with.
0: Now, Jeff, I know you're a big fan of Christian fiction. <laughs> I am so. What, what what do you think about Christian fiction? Is I think it, Christianity we, is fiction. <laughs> <Ooh>.
1: <laughs> wow,
0: You're Speaking of calling people out, yeah, no. So what is my what do I think of Christian? Yeah, what, fiction? like is it is Christian I fiction? Think stories worth are reading, great, or?
1: buddy. Like stories are great. They are. I get. Don't you get a little <coughs> bit concerned looking around the table? Don't you get a little bit concerned that that if the entire diet of someone's reading is Christian fiction, I start thinking. Eh, and some of the Christian fiction is 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 just sanitized Harlequin romance. And I have some cultural questions about that. Why are we reading sanitized Harlequin romance stories, but they're Christian people, so it's cool? I still think some of those books buy into some of the mm-hmm. preconceived notions of the culture that, and just reinforce them over and over again. You know, meeting the one or the idea that romantic love is the only thing that's that's good and right, and there's always some Amish guy in it, which apparently is now. We, I mean, I, I don't think there are any vampire Christian books, are there?
3: No, are there? Sorry. Why are we looking at Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> looking over at Kyle. Kyle, do you know of any
1: vampire Christian books? But dude, there's some great. Uh, I've read some Francine Rivers. I remember thinking that she does a really nice job with putting characters and in,
3: in. If you kind of single male a and you're looking for a female. Be, sh- be seen at church didn't reading years Francis ago <laughs> didn't, 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 years ago wasn't there um, was it
1: Bodie Taney or Thane or Brock and Bodie Taney something like that anyway That's I, remember, an awesome I remember reading a book of theirs thinking that this is actually a really good so I'm all for Christian fiction I just think C.S. you should Lewis be C.S. Lewis wrote lots of fiction I think C.S. You C.S. Lewis should, wrote it I think you should be very uh, It's not. it's not the genre that troubles me it's it's what the content is and you should be very discerning about the stuff that you read or don't read.
5: As the people in Berea were receiving Paul and Silas, um, it talks about them being noble in Acts 17 and they received the word with all eagerness so they're excited this is really great but they weren't um, blindly mindlessly doing that because it follows on it says examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they, they had the objective uh, mm-hmm. You know, point of reference in the scriptures as Paul and Silas were talking to
3: them to go back to, and they did that daily. And that's something Augustine, Saint Augustine, loved about the um, the Manichaees, as they they would constantly come back to the scriptures and say, "Is this is this biblical?" And and in fact, it was interesting. Augustine didn't want to have much to do with Christianity until he met them, and that sent him off, and he began to flourish. I'm looking at you. I don't you. think it's the Manichaeans. I don't know if it's the mani- It was the Manichaeans.
1: Manichaeism is, is, is they're, not They're a duelist, Well,
3: th- th- he ended up leaving them because th- he believed that they were wrong, but he appreciated how they had come back to the scriptures. But, yeah. You can you look it up on Google. <laughs> Google it. Google <laughs> you it. can Google it. It's true. Go yeah,
0: to Bing
2: that? and then search Google,
0: <laughs> and it'll get you to Google.
2: <laughs>
0: how do we get to Bing? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's um, why he left the Another question here for your, uh, your input, bit of a different note. Uh, hi, Extra T. My husband and I are planning to adopt through the ministry. 50% of the children mm. are of Aboriginal descent. Mm-hmm. The first choice for these kids is within their culture, but if no match is found, uh, there are then exceptions that can be made. Mm-hmm. Part of adopting one of these children would involve developing a plan where they would be involved with their culture. That looks mm-hmm. like going to powwows, learning the traditional dances and songs, and learning about their spiritual heritage. Mm-hmm. As a Christian, I would not ordinarily expose my child to other spiritual practices, but that would be part of that type of adoption. But no matter whose home they're placed in, they would this would be part of their lives, so at least if we were to adopt, mm-hmm. then they would also learn about Christ. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? <coughs> Yoga? Anyone? Question mark. I think you work within.
1: I think. I think that it, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to take your kids to a to a powwow. Uh, but you know what? It's not. We don't live. We live in a fallen world where it's not the ideal situation. So as a result, yeah, you work within the systems as they present themselves. And I, you know, I'm I'm of the opinion that if you are given that opportunity there is a way for you to help your kids discern and bring them up to understand the nature of these things and the spiritual realities that are behind them that are alien to Christian faith. Whereas if they are being adopted or fostered by another family that isn't, isn't doing that, they're just bringing them up with the assumption that, oh, any spirituality is good spirituality. So I, I, my view is that actually you, could be a, you, you would be a godsend mm-hmm. to them. And being involved in that, there's a way for you to to, to be involved in a critically evaluative way, yeah. as opposed to a "Hey, I'm in this because I totally accept it."
2: Well, and it gives you an opportunity to to become a sort of an expert in Aboriginal spirituality and to to be able to understand it well enough that you'll be able to hopefully, with the help of others, make those connections with. In what way has God prepared people who have an Aboriginal spirituality to hear and respond well to the gospel? Mm. Um, and going to be honest with you, there's a lot of things that you can use as jumping points from Aboriginal spirituality into the Christian worldview. The the understanding of a great cosmic creator um, is a huge that, that's a huge connection point you can make. So you're and, trying and so, to
1: you're trying to agree with the places where it's right but point out the places where this is part of my thing, even with the books that we're talking about. This is the way I would counsel somebody when they're reading a book or watching a film or anything. You're you're reading it and you're watching it or you're engaging in that cultural form, not as a sponge, but but as a sieve, as somebody who is is, uh, weeding out the pieces that are not of Christ, taking captive every thought to his obedience. Second Corinthians 10. So uh, yeah,
2: and if you're going down this road, there's there's ministries and organizations that work with Ooh. Aboriginal people, like North American Indigenous Ministries, name, um, and N-A- I a I, I am name. Uh, they would be a great group to contact and say, "Hey, this is where I'm at, and can you help me find a way to live in these mm-hmm. two worlds in a way that's going to be like May your tribe increase if you do mm-hmm. this. Yeah.
3: Let me uh, just springboard on that. Nancy and I were actually talking about this. Just this weekend, with uh, even just that, this happens a lot more than we think. Where you know you don't have to go to some special thing for this to take place. Oftentimes, our kids are watching movies and different media that they're being Mm. saturated in these ideas all the time. And I think as parents, we have a responsibility, even in the movies our kids are watching, to to walk them through these different ideas that they're that they're seeing, particularly these Aboriginal ideas. I mean, that comes through in movies a lot.
4: I think I think the 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 key thing is, are parents willing to have um, biblical conversations around the dinner table, mm-hmm. uh, around the home constantly on a day to day basis? We're talking about Christ, talking about worldviews, uh, discussing you know what what did Joe say in school today? What does the Bible say about that? What do you think God would? how how do you think the bible speaks to that issue and so on and so forth so i think it if you develop a culture of daily biblical conversations in the home can, can i add one piece be, to that though yes you may
1: daily biblical conversations applied to the world in which you live yes see th- this is one of my concerns with just plain catechesis which, which is mm. the daily theology that so- oftentimes it becomes abstract mm. and removed from the real world yep. that kids live in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, exactly. for example, this weekend, there's a reason I talk about the Seahawks losing in a sermon about idolatry at the end of my sermon. It's because that's the, that's the very real situation. When you're awake at four in the morning and you're mad at everybody, you've got a problem with an idol. Okay? It, it didn't mm-hmm. just bother you. It bothered you on such a deep level that this has actually become more to you than something a sport. just a sport, which is mm-hmm. God intended it to yeah. just be a sport, <laughs> a recreational Sabbath-oriented event, right, which is supposed to be renewing, and now it's not renewing, it's tearing me down. So this this is where we live, and so we should talk about that. So how does faith in Christ relate to sea- the Seahawks losing? How does your faith in Christ relate to that movie you're watching? How does faith in Christ relate to Kanye West going up at the Grammys and faking that he's going to take over the microphone, like what? What is going into this, and his arguments regarding art and them not giving Beyonce the, the 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 Grammy award because, but Christianity has something to do with all of this, and we need to teach our children and each other that that's that's where it it works. It is is on those issues
3: and how it works.
1: Yes, and that there's a there's a way to understand mm-hmm. and engage a culture with. Biblical convictions and worldview mm. that's faithful to God, but it's not just abstaining from the cultural mm. discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My fear is in the past that's mm. been the approach of the church. It's either right. been completely abstaining or, on the other hand, just
4: gorging mm. itself mm. on the culture without. Okay, so I have a question for you. I can. Uh, I'm imagining. Can you stop a, doing the yoga pose? I am imagining a is that the sitting dog do pose. Do what is that? <laughs> I'm imagining a dad. <laughs> oh <dear Lord. laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Leave me with my stretching. <laughs> now, I'm imagining a, a parent listening to this and they can resonate with okay, yeah, we can sp- talk about the Bible in the home, but the cultural engagement, they feel like, oh boy, mm. I, I'm in over my head in this one. So how then do they start? Like, what are some just practical steps yeah. that will help parents merge these two things together? There's some things that you can read. I think okay. um, uh, it's a book
1: called Hidden Worldviews by. Oh, I can't remember the name to the two authors' names, but mm-hmm. it's very helpful. It gives eight different cultural stories that are being told around us. I mean, there's some really... The universe next door. The universe next door. That gets a little bit philosophical. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some there are some excellent books having to do with some of these issues regarding worldview. Uh, like, uh, I would say, Hollywood worldviews. If you want to mm-hmm. get involved in, mil- that's in film, that's Brian Gadawa's mm-hmm. book. It's mm-hmm. very good. Mm-hmm. But this is what our theology, life, and culture classes are supposed to be, right? We, mm-hmm. There's a reason that we don't just do books of the Bible, mm-hmm. even though we do. We want to do that. Mm-hmm. We do books of the Bible, but we also want to engage people on other things. For example, this next year, I'm still playing around with the idea of doing um, a class called The Art of Argument, which is to it's a, it's, a, it's a class on informal logic. <laughs> that might sound s- silly, but it's it's what reasons are specious and which reasons are, are good. And How does that have to do with Christianity? Well, your ability to determine a good argument for a biblical text or not really relies upon your ability to to, to understand what's a specious argument and what's what's a good one mm-hmm. likewise your discernment in your life is largely dependent upon your ability to to weed through a lot of the arguments and the mm-hmm. persuasion that is given you so it has a lot to do with that something like that or me doing i, I did for my doctoral stuff uh, i did a film a classical film and theology so this is not that just yeah, it? yeah not not just looking for um, yeah there's a book called that film and theology by Douglas, G- Douglas Guy, but that's mm-hmm. okay. It's philosophical in its discussion or its, its style. but you, like I, I, I do a class like that, and it's not just looking for the Christ figure in every movie. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Great Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it, it's actually, how do you sure. take a movie, the, read the intent of the author in the movie, then evaluate that intent according to biblical standards and walk away from it, both appreciating the beauty and the good aspects of the, the film art form, and yeah. being able to critique it do you know the into, i mean it, intellectually you know, intellectually and also in your in your heart so that you can have have great conversations at Starbucks after that kind of thing so how do you train people to do that this it's a cultural engagement class we to do the same thing with our, any other art form
3: the problem that i find with a lot of people in our culture is they've been trained to be good consumers yes and so when when we tend to Engage in a movie or a book, we tend to engage in it as a consumer, and I think this is one of our of our challenges, one of the areas where the church in the class like they sell so it, they important. They sell
1: it that way. You go to the movie; the first line it used to be that they had the line on the, the screen: "Escape with us." Yeah, yeah. It's not actually an escape. I know you, you're treating it like an escape. I know that's what they're selling it to you as, but there's the the movie actually has worldviews in it.
3: Oh, and directors these days are actually quite. Uh, blunt about the fact that they have a message. Yes, well, it's an art form. Every art, art form readers. has messages. But yet Reading we're still trying to consume it, mm-hmm. and uh, in the midst of it, we, we tend to be really bad thinkers, mm. and uh, and we tend to argue. Uh, we tend to reason more as consumers and less as critical thinkers.
4: So then back to my question. So there's certain books that you could read, classes, TLC classes that they right. could take. Anything else?
3: Thinking series coming up after uh, the
4: conference. Oh. <laughs> oh there's, there's a book about. Is it? Well, well, there's this, a book coming out too. Oh, okay. What's the book What
0: well, again? Do these things all in order. Like, you have the well, conference. Well, actually, my book's
3: coming out after Jeff's book. What? Oh, wait. I have a book? Oh, wait. Jeff doesn't have a book. No. Uh, <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh. So after the conference, <laughs> on March 6th and 7th, the thinking series is on March 11th. We're accepting (laughs) resumes for young adults. Andy, it was really good working with you. (laughs) I really wish you God's best in your (laughs) future endeavors. Andy, do you really think that the world needs another
4: book? (laughs) It's by me. (laughs) Making books there is Um, (laughs) no way. I I want to end our time
0: here talking, uh, just wrapping up our discussion on movies that we just had. By the way, if you have any questions, please send them to extra at norphew.org. If there's maybe a book recommendation you want or people that you are wondering if you should be reading them or listening to them, we'll give you our opinion here. But guys, uh, when you go to a movie and you're watching it, you know, critically and all those great reasons you said, what's your favorite snack at the movie? (laughs) I used to never buy anything at the movies because really? it was so ridiculously expensive. But now that my kids go
1: come with me from time to time, like you have to have the popcorn now. Mm. Mm. Oh, I
0: love
2: and what's
1: it. going on with Cineplex Odeon? You used to have a refillable large
2: popcorn bag and now no refillable pop- popcorn. Really? What I, is that I, about? I asked the lady because this also made me mad. She said it was for sanitary reasons. Well, yeah, because it's so
3: dirty. Oh, come on.
2: Because she Let's said get... that the issue was... Something where I don't, and you couldn't give me know. a new ba- You couldn't give me a second bag.
1: Yeah,
3: the my boys are We eat Skittles no.
0: at the movie. Yeah, that comes. "STiger boys just my boys dig on fuzzy Skittles. Peaches.
1: At the movies, like those. But I will tell you that uh, popcorn. Popcorn, popcorn is the answer that. to that I question.
0: tried watching a movie without popcorn once. I, could, it was, I couldn't do it. I didn't enjoy the movie. <laughs> 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 but don't you love, like when they ask you, do you want butter on it? And you say no, because you can go to the machine and get the and fake pump butter. all the butter you want. But it's that. not real butter. What? I don't think it's real butter You don't think the way. other butter is real butter? <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I don't
1: like the butter on it because I it makes me that feel butter.
2: ill oh it's yeah. good yeah. what did you say I said I can't believe it's not Kyle better.
1: you went to a movie last night that I think you want to recommend
5: uh, Paddington yes family uh, day did my you really wife go? and kids oh, went there it is a great movie uh, Lord is Grantham it? was in the movie from Downton Abbey mm-hmm. um, he was a lead or uh, Mr. Brown yeah it was a, it was a fun fun movie it is the, a good the movie. kids enjoyed it and highly
1: recommend it it's got some yeah. good British humor in it British yeah.
5: do rated G movies way better than we do hmm.
0: yeah <laughs> it's not cheesy <laughs> yeah it's really Paddington's great good movie All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.